series called Freedom Maker, and this whole idea is about us experiencing freedom in our lives, but yet because of decisions we make, we rarely get to experience the freedom that God intends for us to have. So this whole series kind of stems around this thought, that the quality of our decisions determines the quality of your life. So when your values are clear, your decisions are easier. And that's true. If you're a good decision maker, you're going to find the quality of your life is pretty good. If you make poor decisions, you'll find the quality of your life is pretty bad. Um, I have found this to be true. I'm getting close to 40. And um, as that happens to me, as that happens to me, I, I am learning that, uh, you know, growing up, like, Korean, we eat a lot of spicy foods, and, like, I'm like a dude, I got, like, an iron stomach, but, like, as I'm getting older, it's not the same anymore. So, like, I have to now, like, think through things, like, do I want to eat this sausage, and will it be worth it, right? And, like, if it's not going to be worth it, I got to say no. Or if I'm like, yo, it's worth it, I just know I'm going to pay for it later, right? It's one of those things. That's the, the quality decisions you make determines the quality of your life. So this morning, I want to talk about this idea of faith, that we all want to have freedom in our faith, but yet we'll rarely experience it. You know, it's easy to follow God when things are going well, right? It's easy to follow God. It's easy to be a Christian when like your life is going good, like your job is great, it's secure, you're getting paid well, your marriage is doing great, your kids are doing well, like things in your life are happening the way it should. You feel like God is doing what he's supposed to do in your life and and everything is just going really great and it's easy to be a follower of Jesus. Then it's so different when your life begins to unravel a little bit. Right? God isn't doing what you feel like he's supposed to do in your life. Um, things aren't going so well. You're struggling financially. You have a family member that's not doing well, maybe with their health. You are struggling personally, internally, and you're asking God like, to help you, and it's, nothing's changing. Your marriage is struggling. It's on the rocks. And it can be a whole different ball game trying to keep faith with God when it's just not so easy. Right, And all of us want to have this type of faith that causes us to have just this freedom in God. But we can't have that when we're going through difficulties because then it's harder to trust him. I mean, you can apply that to anything in life. It's easy to be someone's friend as long as like, they're good to you. But the moment they mess up, maybe their life falls apart or they come after you, uh, that's a little bit different story. So what do we actually do? What does it look like to have real faith, to have real faith. I love what the prophet Habakkuk says. He wrote this in his book. He says, look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. So Habakkuk here, he's talking about the empire of Babylon at this moment. Uh, And now the Babylonian empire, if you ever heard of them, uh, was very powerful. And he says, look at them. They think they're just going to Do whatever they want. And he says, but proud people trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. And I think that applies to us today as well. Um, Maybe you're watching online, like you might be thinking, I'm not a proud person. There's nothing wrong with having pride in like your children, you know, they accomplish something, you're proud of your kid. We're not talking about being proud of your accomplishments or something you've done. We're talking about a pride that roots itself in arrogance. All right, we're talking about a completely different kind of pride. It's the pride that's like, look at what I can do. 
right? Look at me. Look at all the things that I can do with my life. And it says that that type of pride, putting your trust in your own self, will actually cause your path to be crooked. If you found that things in your life are not going well, if you find that, like, things are struggling, it might be because you are trusting in yourself and your abilities and your path is going to be crooked. We say, I trust God, I believe in him, he's going to do all these things. But then when it comes down to it, it's like I trust in my abilities to make decisions. I trust in my financial situation. I trust in my job security. I trust, and you fill in the blank, and we trust in our own selves instead of putting our faith and trust in God. So we're going to look at three areas this morning really quickly, and then we'll kind of close it out on how we can have real faith, all right, how we can have a real faith. So the first thing is this. Our faith determines how we treat people. Our faith determines how we treat people. When it comes to faith, as a Christian, it should determine the way that we treat people. I know for me, uh, especially as our church continues to grow, I, I try to be really intentional with my time. Like obviously I give my family the first and the best, but then anything else I'm a part of, I, I want to be a part of something that I can actually add value to. And if I can't add value, if I'm just going to be a spectator, honestly, it's a waste of time and, and I don't want to be a part of it. Uh, one of our missions partners here at Cornerstone is called Hope for the World. Incredible ministry with the work they're doing in the country of Albania with orphans. And um, I get to be on the board to help determine kind of the mission and direction for this ministry and this organization. And the only reason why I do that is because I feel like I can actually add value to their team as a whole. Like, and because I feel like I can add value to it, I sit on that board. Um, I get to be a part of uh, church planners here in the state of Alabama. And guys that want to start churches are saying like, hey, we want to start a church. God is leading us to start a church. And so I'm actually on the team that helps assess church planters, making sure that they're ready to plant churches, making sure they're able to do that. And I do that because I want to invest in guys that are going to start solid churches, right? I don't want an idiot planting a church, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, hey, if I can be a part of that, if I can add value there, that's what I do. Um, Last year, I started this thing uh, with some of the deacons in our church. Now, I want to just pause real quick here and just say something. Maybe I'm not sure what your church background is, and you're like, you heard the word deacon, and you got PTSD, all right? Um, at our church, we're an elder-led church, which means we have men that are called by God to shepherd and lead our church in a pastoral way. Deacons are just simply guys that we've recognized as like those who are like, hey, I want to serve the church. How can I be a part of serving the church? And with our deacons, I've, I personally take time where I'm like, I'm investing in them in meetings that last a longer time. I'm pouring into them because I want to see them be godlier husbands and better fathers and like we'll grow together. And so I take that time and, uh, seriously because I want to invest in their life. And it's honestly just amazing to get to do that. Now, the same thing is true. Like if we were to look at people as an opportunity to add value to them, wouldn't it change the way that we see people? Like if every interaction is an opportunity to add value to someone, to encourage someone. But here's what typically happens. I don't know if you've been around this type of person before, but I think Christians should be attractional. 
I think people who are Christians should draw other people to them. They should like radiate kindness. They should radiate love and encouragement. But honestly, there are a lot of Christians that just suck, all right? That's just the honest truth. You ever been around a Christian, you're like, why are you a Christian? Your life sucks. Like, why are you so crabby all the time? Weren't you like gonna go to hell and like God saved you? Why, do you, why are you so bitter? Why are you so stingy? Why are you so, why are you a jerk, right? Like you ever been around a Christian and you're just like, oh my gosh, like if this is what Christianity is, I, I don't wanna be a part of that, right? Being a follower of Jesus should look completely different than that. I love how Paul writes it. He says, don't use foul or abusive language. That happened this morning, time changer, like waking up, right? Only a few of you are gonna be honest. All right, that's fine. He says, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Like as a follower of Jesus, we should be encouraging with our words. And, and I honestly, I try to do that. Just I think it's some of it's naturally how I'm wired. I, like I wanna make someone laugh. And even as like I go out in public and I see people and uh, just even random people, I'm not always stopping and going like, where do you go to church? Like, hey, da, da, da. Like sometimes it's just saying something just to liven someone's day. After church this morning, like many of you are gonna go out and eat lunch. What if you just took that opportunity to like just do something for your server that like just bless them? I think they had a bad day too. It's like time change. They forgot they're waking up. They showed up to work late, whatever. And now they gotta deal with Christians all afternoon. What if like you changed their perspective and just did something for them, Right? Like if you looked at every opportunity, every relationship to just be an encouragement, to build people up, and you see Jesus do that, right? Anytime he was around people, he either was showing them grace and mercy, he was always compassionate to them, and yet many times we tend to tear people down, right? But that's not what followers of Jesus do. If you have real faith, we try to build people up. Imagine like just the relationships in your life. If you looked at it as how can I add value to this today? Like imagine, like if you're married, how can I add value to my spouse today? What well, changes the way that you look at them? You're like, yeah, but you don't know what they said to me, right? But what if you just said, but how can I add value? Like every day, if you have kids, you look at your kids, how can I add value to their life today? You're walking into work, how can I add value to that one person that I don't wanna see today? How can I add value to my boss? How can I add value to my teacher? How can I add value to whatever? We don't think that way, but real faith makes us look at people differently and we wanna treat them differently. Here's the second thing. Our faith determines how we steward our resources. Our faith will determine how we steward or use what we have in appropriate ways. I love uh, Jesus because he loved to share parables and parables are just made up stories. I, I love that. Like Jesus is the ultimate storyteller and he just constantly made up stories. And so in, in Matthew's gospel, he makes up a story of a wealthy guy. It was like, this was a wealthy guy and he was going on a business trip. So he's got all this money to manage. And so he brings out three of his financial advisors, three of his financial stewards, right? His financial managers. And he's got one guy who's like, all right, listen, you're a baller, so I'm going to give you five bags of silver. Go do you, right? The next guy comes out. He's like, I'm going to give you three because you're mediocre. But you know what? You, you just go do what you need to do. And he's got one dude, and he's like, he's that dude. He's that person. You ever been around that person? 
know what I'm saying? Like in your family, at your work, like there's that person. And if you're like, man, I don't know who that person is. It's you, right? It's you. But everyone else knows that person. And so he's got that person. They have the job. It's like, why do they work here? Right? So that, he brings that person and he's like, you know what? I'm going to give you one bag of silver. Okay? Because you work here and I feel like you should earn a paycheck. Right? So he's like, hey, he gives it to him. And he says he goes off and just does whatever he needs to do. So now these people are trying to figure out what am I supposed to do with this money? And as you read the story, well, as you read Jesus sharing the story, he says, the first guy with five bags of silver, he goes out and he's just the boss. He's like, you know what? I'm gonna get into like this crypto, this is a new thing, this and that. He's like, oh, I know, blah, blah. And when the boss comes back, he's like, hey, I crushed it. You gave me five bags of silver. I came back with five more bags of silver. This is 10 bags of silver. Bam, like you gotta be feeling pretty good. The next guy comes up, he's like, sir, I know you think I'm mediocre, but I went out there and I was grinding. I had to work hard for it. But I got three more bags of silver. And he comes out with six bags of silver. Bam, and he's feeling pretty good about it. Right, so the first two guys doubled up exactly what they were given. And listen to Jesus' response to both of these different guys. It says this in Matthew 25, verse 21. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. He's saying like, you crushed it. Like I knew you could do it. Like, and you go out there and you double it up. You have been amazing. And because you're amazing, because you can handle this small amount. And what I think it's crazy is that each guy had different amounts. But to each guy, it was a small amount. He says, since you can handle this small amount, I'm going to give you even more responsibilities. And he's like, we're going to have an office party. And he called the office party planning committee together. And they threw a party for the people that doubled up on their money. Come on, the office, somebody. All right. No one in here watching the office? All right. So, no, my crowd. All right. Then you got that guy. That guy shows up and he had the one bag of silver, right? And he's like, the boss gave me this thing. I don't even know what he wants to do with it. He's a jerk. He's so mean to people. And so it says, Jesus in the story says, he just goes and buries it in the ground. Probably for the thrill of later going like, I found a bag of silver, right? Like, I don't know. Like he buried it in the ground or be like the equivalent of us just like, putting it in the safe at our house going, I'm going to keep this locked up because the last thing I need to do is spend this money and not make anything, right? So because my boss is a jerk, I ain't touching it. And when he comes back, I'm going to give him back exactly what he gave me. And so he shows up. He's got his bag of silver there. He's looking at these other guys. He's like, oh, man. He's like trying to wipe the dirt off the bag real quick. And he's like, here you go, sir. I know you're like cruel and mean. Like he just kind of calls him out on it. He's like, I know you're kind of a jerk and you like take money that don't belong to you and stuff. And so I just want you to know you gave me one bag and I'm giving you back your one bag. And then his boss's face turns from like, hey, we're having a party planning committee to a firing committee right there in the same story because he turns around and says, you wicked, lazy servant. Like he just starts calling him out. He says, I, like, if you think I'm such a jerk, like, you at least could have put it in the bank and it could have drawn some interest on it. And dude's probably thinking, 
wow, I should have done that, right? That was really, I didn't think about it. And then listen what happens in verse 28. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what they have will be taken away. It wasn't fair. It wasn't cool. But he's like, you know what, take this from this. Like, you know what, this is ridiculous. As a matter of fact, that dude lost his job. They kicked him out right after that, if you keep reading it. And he gives it to the guy that already has 11 bags or 10 bags of silver. And he says, if you do well with what you got, you're going to even have more. As a matter of fact, you'll have an abundance. I'll give you more. But if you can't even handle what I've given you, even what you have will be taken away. Now, we talked a lot about finances last Sunday. And we talked about experiencing faith in our finances. And, and we're not going to talk about that a lot today. But our resources have so much more to do than just finances, right? You get one life. What are you doing with the one life that you have, with your body? What are you doing with your marriage? What are you doing with your kids? What are you doing with your house or your car or your job or the things that you have? How do you take care of what God has already given you? And if you feel like God is withholding from you, maybe it's because you're not even taking care of what he's already given you. And if you feel like I keep in this season of loss, maybe it's because God is like, you can't even handle what I've given you, so I'm not going to give you more. That doesn't make sense. Like imagine if you gave your kid $100, like, please, this is all you get. Leave me alone, right? Like don't ask for anything else. You get $100 for the whole month. This is it. And what if your kid came back instead of the next month saying, mom, dad, can you give me more money? What if they said, hey, so I took that $100 and I made another, I have $200. You'd be like, what are you selling? Right, like what are you doing? And you're gonna have those kind of parenting conversations. No, dad, no, this, and it's all legit. And if you found that your kid like did that, you would be celebrating that, right? And the same thing is true when it comes to our faith. What are you doing to steward what God has given you? And if you found that you're constantly wanting more and not having enough or whatever, it might just be because you're not even handling what you have well. Do well with what you have, regardless if you're a one-bag person, a three-bag person, or a five-bag person. Do well with what you have. Now, um, the last thing is this. When it comes to real faith, our faith determines how we respond to God. Real faith determines like how we actually respond to God. To God. I love how Paul said this. And I love when you read the book of Acts, Acts is literally like a documentary, all right? This is before they had film. So if Acts could have been, if Luke was alive today, it would be a documentary of like the early church. So Acts is literally a documentary of what's happening. And I love in Acts chapter 20 as they follow a guy named Paul, and he says this. He says, I am now bound by the Spirit. Some translations say, I am compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And I don't know what awaits me. So what he's saying is, I feel like for some reason, God is wanting me to go to Jerusalem. She's like, yeah. She's like, preach it, Pastor, because none of these adults, none of these adults are feeling you this morning, so I will do it, right? He's saying, I don't know what awaits me in Jerusalem. He's like, but I'm going to go 
there. I'm going to go there. And if you ever had that, like that thing where you feel like, this is weird, but I feel like God wants me to do this, right? Like maybe you're around someone like, man, you're like, no, this is weird. I feel like I'm supposed to like buy that person's gas or I'm supposed to buy their groceries or maybe you're there and you're walking and you're like, man, I don't know, this is strange. Like, I feel like I'm supposed to pray for this person, right? Or you're like, man, this is strange. Like, I feel like you get that person and you're like, I feel like I'm supposed to just call like this friend. Like, that's strange. Why should I call this person? You ever had that? That's, that's like the Holy Spirit working in your life. And Paul had that. He was like, listen, I'm trying to reach like people who are not Jews. I'm trying to reach people who are far from God. And he's like, but I feel like God's telling me to go to Jerusalem where there's just tons of like Jewish people. I have, um, depending on your faith background, I have never audibly heard God's voice. Like some people are like, I heard God say to me, if God has a voice, I have no idea what it sounds like. All right. I've never personally heard God's voice, but I have had those like deep checks in my spirit where I feel like, dang, I'm supposed to do this thing, whatever that thing is. And obviously like I've served God and I'm in ministry today. I'm a pastor today, but like, I can promise you like as a 22 year old and like from out West, so born in California, like raised in Arizona, living all over, you know, like I, like I live out West. Um, I'm in like a random Bible college in Springfield, Missouri only God would have brought me to Alabama. You know what I'm saying? Like Southern people in Alabama, that don't work well. Like you don't see a lot of Asian people in Alabama, right? We're just opening up restaurants and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like massage parlors and dry cleaners. You know what I'm saying? Like that's not, that's kind of all what we do. And the only reason why I'm here is because of God. Like I was, Alabama was, was not even on my radar, right? But like the last 16 years of my life, I've lived in this state and like, I love it like this. I couldn't have written it any better. And then I've lived in Gadsden for 12 years this year. And it's like, I didn't even know Gadsden existed. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, my first job was in Mobile and anything past Montgomery, they told me was the North. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I didn't, I wasn't looking for anything. I wasn't, but I felt like God wanted us to come. And now I live in Gadsden, Alabama, where I feel like God is gonna keep us here for like, rest of my life. Like I've raised three kids that were born in Alabama. It's just a crazy thing. Like this never would have happened had I not listened to God. And then there was a season in our life where Aaron and I, we felt like we were supposed to move. And then like, we just felt this weird thing where it felt like we were supposed to stay in Gadsden. And I now know here we are like all these years later, 10 years later, that he wanted us to stay because it was for cornerstone. And this never would have happened had we just done it ourselves. It was God, right? Now, when you listen to God, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Because as a matter of fact, like when we stayed, it made things harder for us. Our, our life and where we were at financially and all those things, it was more stressful. It was difficult. But I look at that and I go, man, I'm really glad we leaned in and listened to what the Holy Spirit was telling us to do, even though it doesn't make sense. Here's what I'm telling you. If you've never experienced that, you're saying like, Daniel, I have a relationship. You're like you're watching online, overflow, coffee shop. Like you're saying, I believe in God. I have a relationship with Jesus, but you have never experienced a time where you feel like God or the Holy Spirit was leading you to do something. You might want to check if you have a relationship with him. Might want to check because here's the deal. God 
will not ignore you. <laughs> try, like if you have kids, try ignoring them. It's impossible because they won't shut up, right? They, they like, they crave for your attention. But imagine just ignoring someone who lives in your house, just ignoring them. You're like, and maybe like, someone, hey, I know what that feels like. But like a constant ignoring. God will not do that to you. He will do something. And so maybe you might want to check whether or not you really have a relationship with God because he will lead you to do some things. But then that's the other part. Maybe some of you are like, I didn't know that that's what that was. I just thought it was that weird thing. Like I didn't know that maybe that was like the Holy Spirit wanting me to do something. Here's the thing, like with God, sometimes God wants us to do stuff that doesn't make sense. And when you read the entire Bible, there are countless stories where people did stuff that did not make sense. But here's what we need to do for those who have real faith. Our responsibility is to obey and trust God with the outcome. And you're like, but that's just it. If I knew what the outcome was, it would be easier to trust God. But see, but that is just it. If you knew the outcome, it wouldn't take faith. And so faith is something so much different. It's like, uh, it's a lot like this chair. You've been seeing this chair. You're like, what is he doing with that stupid chair? It's like this chair. This chair is a metaphorical chair for your life. And it represents the person who makes the decisions in your life. Now, before you met Jesus, this chair is so low to the ground, by the way. I feel so short right now. Uh, when you sit in this chair before Jesus, you got to make all the decisions in your life, which is really great. You're like, you know what? I get to do what I want. I get to say what I want. I get to go where I want. Like, so whoever sits in this chair gets to make decisions in your life. And you might be feeling like, you know what? That's my wife. She makes all my decisions, right? You're like, no, but someone, you sit in the chair. Maybe if you're a, you're a kid, you're like your parents make the decisions for you. But ultimately, you sit in this chair. You get to determine what you want to do. You're like, and it's kind of nice. You get used to making decisions for yourself. I'm going to do this. You know, I'm going to work here. I want to do that. I want to move there. Hey, I'll date that person. I'll marry that person. Yeah, let's have a kid, whatever. You make all the decisions for your life. But then for those of us who made that decision to like put our faith and trust in Jesus, what we're saying is, okay, God, I was making decisions in my life, but now... I want you to have complete control of my life. God, whatever you say, that's what I want to do. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Because some of us, we all say, for those who have a relationship with Jesus, we want freedom in our faith. We want God to bless us. We want all these things. But then God sits in this chair in our life, and then he starts making decisions, and he starts taking us down a path. And here's what happens. You're like, oh, that's kind of interesting, interesting direction for my life there, Jesus. That's, that's it. Why do you keep going? Do you see that's going to cause a lot of pain to me, right? You see that. You do see what's going to happen if you keep walking down. Do you see how, hey, real quick, but real quick though, let me just, let me one cheek it here for a second, Jesus. Uh, and you slowly scoot over and like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 we're not doing that for sure. No, I love you so much and you're the Lord of my life, but we're going to go this direction instead. And you feel kind of good here. And you wonder why your life has ended up crooked. Well, you heard Habakkuk, he says what? Look at proud people. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, right? If you're wondering why your life is crooked right now, it might be because you're sitting in the chair that never belonged to you anyways. And so it's like, no, God, you're right. That was so dumb. Why did I do that? <laughs> this is your chair. 
I was just keeping it warm for you. Whatever you need to do, as long as it doesn't hurt me, you can do it. And so we give God the chair and we see what he's doing. And the next thing you know, you're the one sitting back in the chair because you're like, God doesn't know what he's doing. Because <laughs> why would he make that choice for me? Because that doesn't make sense. Why would he cause me pain in my life? That, that, that hurts. Why would he do that? Why would he allow that to happen? You know what? I think I'm just going to have to just do this myself. And so we sit here. No, God, I love you. I want the best from you. I want you to lead my life. You are in control, but yet we're the one sitting in the chair. And he'll never force himself on us. God doesn't make his way. He doesn't push us out. He allows us to make our own decisions. And yet so many of us here this morning are sitting in a chair that doesn't belong to you and you're wondering why your life is where it's at today. You are steering yourself crooked. Your life will end up crooked because you're putting your trust in yourself. I know better than God. He obviously, I know he knows everything, but he doesn't know everything about what's best for me. And so I'll just sit here when God allows us to just do our own thing. So then here's what some of us do. We'll say, you know, God, that's cool. I'm gonna give this to you. And in the South, we like to, I see the bumper stickers and stuff and we'll say little things like this. God is my co-pilot. And it sounds so good because I'm just me and God, buddy, buddy, right? But I don't know if you know how co-pilots work. Co-pilots work like this. If you don't like what the pilot's doing, you could take over. And you're like, no, God, I trust your decision-making sometimes. And then you make the decision because a co-pilot can take over for the pilot when the co-pilot doesn't like what the pilot is doing, right? And so here we are, we're like getting in and like, maybe you're sitting over here. You're like, I'm in the passenger chair or maybe like UK, right? <laughs> maybe we reach in the UK. You're sitting in the passenger chair. And you're like, no, I trust God. I trust him, but yet time and time again, you say you trust God, you're looking at your circumstances and you realize you're sitting in a chair that doesn't belong to you and you're wondering why your life is falling apart. God, why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you helping me? God, why is this happening? This is ridiculous. I pray to you, I do all this stuff, and yet, Lord, here I am. You've allowed me to be here. And God's like, you're sitting in my chair. This is your fault. I wouldn't have to sit in your chair if you would have made better choices. And we get mad at God and we're like, I'll do it myself. I trust myself. And you know what? Trusting in yourself is what caused maybe a broken relationship in your life. Trusting in yourself has caused you where to be financially. Trusting in yourself has caused you to be where you're at mentally, wherever you're going through. Trusting in yourself. So I have a different analogy for you in... Uh, I heard this pastor one time, my dad gave me a CD. It's been, it's been a long time ago. Like, it's a, it's a CD-ROM, all right? For those of you, like, like, teenagers, like, what the heck is that? It's like a thing you actually use. You have to, like, it's anyways. Before there was digital, there was physical, all right? My dad gave me this CD of this old pastor that was, like, preaching. It's like an old, like, revival pastor. And he gave me this thing. And I'll never forget this illustration because I had never heard it before. But yet it's so true. If we're gonna give God complete control of our life, then here's what we have to do. If this is a car, an airplane, whatever it is, or just theoretically just go with me here, is you have to give God the keys and say, Lord, I trust you with my life, whatever it looks like. And then you get out of the car and you don't get in the passenger seat, 
You don't get in the back seat. You go to the trunk and you get in. Now, after first service, I could tell we have like law enforcement officers in our church. Like that sounds like kidnapping, right? That sounds sounds bad. But in essence, what you're telling God is, I'm allowing you to kidnap my life. What I thought I wanted, what I think I need, what I say I want, I trust that you will do even better than what I thought. And so you allow him to take you places that you never thought you would go. And you end up in a place where you realize there's nothing better than I could ever ask for. Some of you will never experience that in your faith because you're the one sitting in the chair. So the question I have to ask you is, who's sitting in this seat in your life? You might be saying, well, God is. But pride will keep you from seeing the truth of who actually sits here. If you want real faith, Real faith is trusting that God will do with your life what he needs to. And you know what? When you give him this spot, I'll tell you personally, there is pain involved in that decision. But you know what God does with that pain? He uses it later on that you had to go through some stuff to experience it later. He's testing you. He's strengthening you. And I've gone through like a lot in my life. We don't talk about it all the time because some stuff is not to just always talk about. And I've gone through some things in my life that prepared me for a moment that I didn't know I would need. And I went through a lot of like just stuff because sometimes working for churches just sucks. And, and I had to go through some pain. And later on, I realized what God was doing it for. He was preparing me for a moment that I would have never been ready for had I not gone through that pain. I've gone through some moments where we had nothing financially. And like when people talk about like, hey, you're struggling. Like, hey, we're struggling. Like, I don't know if you've ever been in this situation, but this is a very humbling thing to have to like ask your in-laws, can we live with you? Because I can't afford to live on my own. And then to be in the room that my wife grew up in while I owned a house that I couldn't live in because I had to have it rented out. I've gone through some stuff. And yet God was preparing me for some moments where I was going to have to trust him. And I'm telling you, if you keep taking control, God will let you go through. He'll let you go through it all over again. I've gone through two seasons of my life where financially was the hardest thing I've ever gone through. And my wife was finally like, she literally, she, she straight up told me, she's like, when are you just going to trust that God's got this handle because I'm tired of going through this? And it was me. You will never experience the full blessings on God in your life when you sit in this chair. But if you can give it to God and trust him with the outcome, no matter what it looks like, just trust that if you're in a valley, he's with you through it and he's bringing you through it because he knows what's on the other side. Or you can trust yourself and you'll end up crooked and you'll look at God wondering, how did we end up here? Why did you let this happen? And it was because you were always sitting in this chair. So the question is, who's sitting in this seat? And that will determine what kind of faith you have. Hey, let's pray.